Hello and welcome to the Uncapped Podcast, proudly presented by Roast House Pub, where elevated culinary creations meet a fresh, evolving craft beer selection, making it one of Frederick's unique dining destinations. Hi everyone, I'm your host Chris Sands, and this week we are joined by Jeremy Grinke and Daniel Munoz. Did I get it? Yeah. Almost, man. Uh, close. <laughs> can't you just, you could have just humored me, but how, yeah. how about Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, you pronounce it correctly. Okay. Give me the, give me the role in the, the Daniel, Daniel, yeah. Daniel Mew. Munoz. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to give myself like a 85% on it. I, I'd give you like a 70, 60. It was close. All right, I'll I'll take it. I'll take it. We'll make it. But the effort effort was high. (laughs) Do I get get an A for effort at least? Sure. No, we don't do those kind of trophies here. No no effort trophy. (laughs) All right, so Jeremy is the director of production, which I'm guessing to get into that position, you have a long and storied career in brewing. Um. Yeah. so long, long storied, uh, long, I agree on storied might be, well, hang on, I'm always making stories, you know, making them up sometimes, but, um, <laughs> well, th- I mean, that's good because no one will know if they're true or not and made up well, stories are often great. Yeah. As long <laughs> as they don't, um, you know, uh, cross any of my other stories that I may have told, yeah. you know, um, but no, I, I actually, I'm, I'm the director of production here at the brewery, uh, I've been here since uh, 2015 in January, so uh, just past my six years, a little over six years now. Um, and I came here as a production manager for our sour program. Okay. So I, I helped uh, facilitate and launched the Brewery Teru brand. Um, and then in my time here, I've I've grown in in my role here at the brewery, and you know I now am the director of uh, all of our production, and I focus mainly on uh, our R&D innovation and our wood programs. Um, and, and that said, you know, I focus on those things because we have a, a very diverse uh, production management staff that, um, you know, I'm, I'm very intimate in our you know, daily involvement, but they have a lot of uh, a lot of skills of their own and are, and are working in other directions that, that we're taking our, our beer. Um, as far as, you know, history before I was at the brewery, um, this is where uh, my career is long, but my beer experience is shorter than it may seem. Uh, I spent eight years in uh, the Central Coast of California making wine before I transitioned into beer. So you have a long alcohol career and a long beverage career at this point, um, but it's split about half and half between wine and beer at this point. Cool. Well, we'll probably get into that a lot more once we get the story of the brewery, the brewery out of the way, because I think... I have some questions uh, like how wine making relates to your new uh, career trajectory. And Daniel is the VP of marketing for the brewery. Um, How, how often do you have um, who's on first type of moments whenever you tell people where you work? Oh man. I mean, usually when I tell people where I work, they ask me which one. Yeah, that's what, uh, like so. Yeah, it's it's re- every time. I mean, I, I don't, I don't think I can name a time where I've said oh, I work at the brewery and people <laughs> have 
have said, oh, cool, I love that brewery. You know, it's, it's, it's always, which one, dude? You know, I'm like, the brewery. I don't know how else to say it. Then you have to spell it out. Yeah. It's a whole thing. It's, I mean, looking back, man, I, Patrick picked a really tricky name there, huh? Well, it's, I asked that because I, I often get asked who I have coming up. And yeah. every time I said um, the brewery, they'll be like, okay, like which one? Like it was the same type of exchange. And I'd be like, you yeah. know, the one in California that has the name The Brewery. <laughs> You've probably seen their, like, they have. R-U-E. Yeah. <laughs> so do you, do you know what, what, what is the name of the founder? So uh, founder, Patrick Brew. So Patrick's a pretty interesting guy. Started started the brewery, what is it, 13 years ago now? 13 years ago. Um, and and as, yeah, as craft beer goes, that's he's like a grandfather almost. He is, and it, the story, really interesting. I mean, he was a home brewer. Um, he just finished, just finished law school, I believe, and then uh, he made a big pivot, decided to open up a brewery got into really experimental barrel-aged stuff and you know 13 13 years later here we are he always does say though he regrets putting his last name into the name of the brewery because yeah as marketers and and as brand guys we like then throw his last name into everything and he's actually a really like kind of humble shy guy so you got a lot of beers with a rue in it now and he kind of sometimes just shakes his head and like why why did i do that what was i thinking (laughs) so what do you know why he decided to name it the brewery? Oh, what else would you call it? your last name's Rue in Rue? <laughs> the brewery. No, it's what else could you do? <laughs> and I guess if like if you wanted to go like the full on like we are the best, and that that would that's kind of like a drop the mic. Yeah, like we are the brewery. And you but, know, at the time, at the time, there weren't. I mean. They were obviously craft breweries, but 13 yeah. years ago, there weren't as many. It's not like it was now where he said, oh, I, I have the brewery in Orange County. You know, people go, oh, yeah, the brewery, because it, yeah. it was the brewery in Orange County. Yeah, but it's really it's really easy to fall into what feels like a pretentious statement at some point. Yeah. When somebody has, like, which brewery, and you're like, uh, the brewery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excuse me. No, <laughs> But our but our beer is a little bit like the grape bottom mustard, if that makes any sense. So you drive you all you all drive around in Rolls Royces. (laughs) (laughs) Only Jeremy does. Yeah. Yeah. He's in he's in a Rolls Royce. I I got a I got a super roof. Um what what is the size of the brewery um i guess well first like uh annual barrelage so i i know you got you're like big so yeah i mean i i think that a lot oftentimes we're um our reputation is, is bigger than our production volume okay. um and so you see a lot of our beer around the world um but you know we're we're just closed out our biggest year ever and we're still shy of twenty thousand barrels so actually just, i mean that's way that's way lower than what i would have thought yeah so you're that so it, the way you described it is actually absolutely perfect because it was my perception <laughs> yeah so i think we just have a big footprint um and so, and it's it is pretty shocking to a lot of people when they ask and 
and you know, like I said, it's our biggest year at that at that number. We were we we're hovering around ten thousand barrels for quite a number of years. So, which is still a ton of beer for a craft brewery. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's not. It's not. It's not a lot of beer. Um, but you know, when you're in, what are we in, Daniel? Twenty twenty five or twenty six states. Uh, you know, shoot twenty thirty countries across the world. Like you know, it, we make a lot of high end beer. We make a lot of uh, beer that. We make a lot of beer that can be drank today and we make a lot of beer that's that's quite honestly for special occasions and people like to set, save it for and therefore it takes quite a big network to get all that beer into the hands of people that will drink it and it has it been has that been the way since the very beginning because you, you did said specialized in barrel aged artisanal stuff so is it from the very beginning there was a focus on putting beer into barrels and yeah absolutely so we are a uh you know from day one we're a belgian inspired um california brewery so inspired by the old world traditions but you know not not bound by them um you know as 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 young you know young upstarts that are trying to do their own thing you know we're influenced by everything but you know kind of have our own way of doing it and uh the fact that 13 years ago in southern california there wasn't uh you know, aside from one or two down in San Diego, there really wasn't um, breweries in SoCal, um, you know, aging beer in barrels, making Belgian beers, uh, making sour beers, making big, you know, high gravity stouts. Uh, you know, anybody that opens a brewery today is pretty much doing all of those things. Um, but when we opened this brewery, everybody was making IPA and uh, we, we chose not to make any IPA um, up until about four years ago four years ago is when we kind of you know we launched offshoot brand uh called offshoot beer company um started making a bunch of different ipas for that and and watched our distribution grow i guess i get to cross that off that was one of my questions for later (laughs) (laughs) well now now you just completely ruined all of my preparation i'm out of (laughs) i'm sorry If you want, I'll just keep talking and I'll probably, I'll probably check the rest of the stuff. <laughs> so, um, so the brewery itself does not, you don't make any IPAs there are like anything of that's done through. Well, we actually, we actually do make it it's okay. just not branded as the brewery. Yeah. So we make yeah. I guess yeah. I used the wrong verbiage. Like yeah. there aren't, there is not a, uh, the brewery IPA. That is correct. There okay. is no ipa produced by the brewery in a can that says the brewery across the top okay there is a hoppy brent beer that's ipa ish (laughs) (laughs) but no yeah no ipa is coming out of the brewery right now although i mean any it it seems like nowadays you can pretty much just slap the term ipa on any beer that's produced and no one's going to question you unless it's a stout yeah, that might be true. There's all the different types for sure. Um, so you have you have your name listed at as at sour Jesus. Well, at sour underscore Jesus is that yep. Twitter, Instagram, or where where does that screen name live? Uh, that's Instagram. So yep. do you know you have competition? There there is an at fruited sour Jesus also. I'm not aware. Yeah. So. Well, that- I bet he knows who you are, though, Jeremy. <laughs> I don't know. He may not be. There's not a whole lot of crossover between fruited sours and traditional sours. Because really? I don't, yeah, I don't think a lot of the, a lot of the people who 
enjoy and love like a heavily fruited sour. I don't typically like like a mixed firm barrel aged sour beers. Okay, you're talking about like new cool kid. Uh, yeah, yeah. Slurpee yeah. machine. Yes. I got you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's true. They're 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 they are a different customer. Um but we know how to reach them both. And that's so. um that's what at fruited sour Jesus focuses on. Oh really? Yeah. So I d I don't think you either you guys aren't living in the same um hemisphere. Yeah. <laughs> Gonna have to send him a cease and desist, Jeremy. I don't know what's going on. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he's, my, he's my brother. Oh, hey, he's your evil twin. Because yeah. yeah. I'm gonna guess that the, the brewery is not gonna be putting out any uh, bombers of heavily fruited sours with lactose and candy put in them. Um, no, not not by bombers. You mean bottles? Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess really when you're talking about fruited sours, it could it could mean yeah. either. But I specifically meant because you have so many beer in bottles. Yeah. yeah. Actually, yeah. We, actually, we actually were making a lot of. We were pretty early on in the in the smoothie style sour game about four years ago, um, and we made them for quite a while. Um, but we took a little break while we're while we're getting a little pasteurization set up going here. Okay. Uh, so we'll start we'll start those back up again probably this summer. And well, yeah, we good. Well, so I guess so. Since you're pasteurizing them, that, will they go into your full distribution footprint, or do you keep them in California? No, for for those we we call them brew sickles is what we call them. Okay. Um, those will be you know direct consumer at the tap room only. For right now, we don't make a lot of it. We just make enough to keep to keep kind of our local beer fans coming back. Okay. Yeah, it's probably not something you want to get into sticking on a truck and shipping to the East Coast. Yeah, no, you're right, hundred percent. <laughs> or you'll have the other type of bombers. Exactly, which is, <laughs> which is what we're trying to avoid. But if if you're if you're pasture, although I guess I've been told that even if you do pasteurize that there's still the potential of with those types of beers with so much residual sugar, you yep. can still end up with, um, re-fermentation. Of course. Yeah. That's always a, a, a risk with pasteurization, um, and how yeast grows, you know, one, one yeast cell could be two and two could be four. And then, you know, before you know it, Do you have a can like blowing the, up in someone's yeah, uh, it's like, kitchen. Yeah, before you know it, it's like you didn't kill any of the yeast, you know. So that that is part of the part of the game. Um, but you know, pasteurization has also saved you know thousands of lives over the years with with you know creating food quality. So you know that I think it's just a it's a necessary evil, um, and we don't like to do it for beers that don't need it. So we don't we don't pasteurize any uh, wild beers that come out of the Cheru facility. And we don't pasteurize any uh, high gravity stouts that come out of the brewery main campus, uh, I, meaning like Black Tuesday and big stouts that are over 16%. Um, but, you know, if you're going to put uh, cinnamon and vanilla into a, you know, 8% cream ale, you know, you're going to need to pasteurize that because cinnamon and vanilla have microorganisms living on them. So, you know, they're not going to hold up in trade without pasteurization. Okay. Um, we're going to take a real quick, uh, sponsor break. And actually I have a few more questions about pasteurization. I want to talk about, cause 
I've been told things over the years that I don't know if 100% true, and I trust the sour Jesus to be able to set me straight on whether or not they are. Fair enough. So, All right. Uh, we will be right back. Uncapped is brought to you by one of Frederick's original Maryland craft beer destinations, located off of Urbana Pike, featuring a warm, inviting atmosphere and knowledgeable staff serving up fresh, locally sourced culinary creations and unique craft beers on tap. Open seven days a week, our friends at Roast House Pub invite you to enjoy a casual lunch, happy hour specials, delicious dinners, and specialty desserts. Follow them on social media to keep up to date on their monthly beer dinners, mom's spaghetti dinner battles, and what beer is being featured for Buck Above Monday. Idiom Brewing Company proudly offers a delicious variety of beers to satisfy the most discerning tastes. Best known for their wide array of IPAs, delicious fruited sours, and robust porters and stouts, Idiom has a simple goal in mind, to bring people from all walks of life together, to enjoy themselves and each other. Whether you're a hophead looking for explosively juicy IPAs, are one of the adventurous few looking to try boozy, sour, or complex flavors, or just looking to enjoy classic styles and seasonal favorites, they'll have a little something for you. Idiom Brewing Company is located in downtown Frederick, just south of the intersection of East Street and East Patrick Street, with ample seating directly on Carroll Creek. All right, so forever ago, um, I was told that... A pasteurized beer, it has no effect whatsoever on the flavor. That it's more or less putting just a pause on everything. That it, it it's not going to, like, if you have the beer right there, you pasteurize, it doesn't make any change to the flavor at that time. It would just, the only difference is any possible future changes due to yeast. Is that accurate or was I lied to? I think it's, I think it's half, it's half true or, or it's fully true. Right, let's put it this way. It's that's a hundred percent true on some beers. <laughs> well, actually just... in a, in this is long enough ago, although actually let me tell you, let, let me let you finish and you can tell me what kind of beers that that doesn't hold true on. Yeah. Well, I would say that, you know, it, you know, if it's a if it's a basic, you know, beer, um, there, there's nothing in that beer that will get damaged or volatized from the uh, pasteurization. Now, if if that beer is a uh, imperial stout with uh, cacao and peppermint, like a like a minty stout. Um, you're not really going to lock in those flavors of the mint. I heard you say that earlier in your in your um, description. Uh, I think you said lock in or seal in or something or, like that. Like put a pause on. Put a pause. Yeah. Yeah so, yeah. so the term I would use is lock it in. That's not really going to lock in the mint. It's actually going to volatize it to some, some degree. So you actually can see a degradation post pasteurization on some products. Okay. Now, there's, so there's like, other with- products. But with the mint, is that that super high spike in heat that that is that it damages the it damages the uh, the chemical compound structure. Um, And so you actually you in my experience, you'll need to over mint something pre pasteurize so that you don't have to go and re mint it again post pasteurize post pasteurize pasteurization. Okay. Um, now. 
there's other flavors that I feel like pasteurization does help like almost cement them or set them into the beer. And I think a lot of times vanilla can be one of those kind of things where had a very good vanilla character before pasteurization, but like right after the pasteurization, it was, it was on point. So I think that there's, um, you know, several different variables that you can have there. And then I think there's other things like, you know, we do a lot of, uh, beer wine hybrids here at the brewery and, um, I've been here before where one of the, one of the plans was to pasteurize one of those products, um, because they didn't want uh, anything going on weird in the bottle. Well, I could tell you that one thing that I know about wine, um, is wine doesn't like heat. Um, you know, if you leave a, and Daniel could tell you, he's done this famously. If you leave a case of wine in the back of your car, you know, for a week in the summer, um, that, that wine, yeah, gifted wine. Um, but I feel yeah, like Daniel yeah. just got thrown under a bus. Oh, he did. Yeah. He did. <laughs> my defense, I, I drove the gang both ways in like four hours of traffic back from back from wine country. It was it was it was a trip. <laughs> so so heat ruins wine. Wine technically gets cooked by heat. And if you've ever had a bottle that got hot and then it got cold again. Uh, if you know anything about what wine's supposed to taste like, you can definitely taste a difference. So that's an example of something that absolutely, in my opinion, should not be pasteurized. If it's a if it's a beer wine hybrid and you're trying to preserve the the wine flavor in that beer, then a pasteurizer is is just a, a an abominable tool for for that. It's, it's something that shouldn't be used. So I think that you know there, there's a perfect place for a pasteurizer, and then. There's the other beers where you just have to kind of know what you're doing and know the history of your machine and how the beers come out and you 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 make little little tweaks along the way on the next beer. Yeah, I mean it's something I don't get to talk about much because there there aren't a ton of craft breweries that have a pasteurizer, so it's it's not sure. it's usually talked about in like an aspirational thing like if we were able to pasteurize we could do this, but yeah. Well, I think it's one of those things where I was saying earlier that, you know, we, it seems like we make a lot more beer than we make. And a lot of that is because we have it spread around so heavily. And then a lot of that too, is because people, people like to hold on to those, those products and they, they want to savor them and, and use them at the right occasion. Well, without a pasteurizer, you know, we're just gambling on every one of those products of, you know, is this beer going to be good for five years? Like, I, I don't know, you know, and odds are, if you don't pasteurize it, it's not going to be. Hey, the completely off topic, but you're someone I feel like can, might be able to answer this question for me. Can you saber a beer bottle? Yeah. Okay, good. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I, I, I've always, yeah, want, I've always <laughs> wanted to, I've always wanted to, so does it require a certain type of beer or is it any, like, no. okay. No, so just so, as long so as, essentially, you know, a beer bottle, like the bottles that we put our beer in, you know, when we go to order them, uh, the bottle is a, it's a champagne bottle. That, okay. That's a style bottle. Um, and so it, it's the same bottle. You can do it with anything that's under pressure with carbonation. And it's all about just, you know, getting the bottle cold enough. And then oh. right, have, you, have you ever savored it before? No. And I really want to, but I don't so like other, champagne. Yeah, so so the, other, the other thing you do is you, you get the bottle, especially the neck, really cold. And then uh, you look for the seam that goes up the side of the bottle. Yeah, I know that part of it. Yeah. 
and you need so a, and it it has to be an unsharpened edge it can't be yep. it can't be sharpened um yep. i did not know about the coldness part of it yeah. so well there's two reasons for that one because you can uh help the glass shatter and then two uh you know the carbonation is related to temperature and yeah. pressure right so if you have a warm bottle and you try to do that all of the champagne or beer is going to go out of the bottle as okay fun, you know because it's just gonna yeah it's vaporize almost vaporize isn't the right word but you know what i mean so the colder it is the more of it you'll actually keep in the bottle all right we'll look forward to a beer sabering video on instagram everyone <laughs> do it <laughs> yeah. do it with a brewery bottle yeah i do i would challenge. do a beer saber challenge that's a oh, good idea. Go. Yeah, at somebody. Yeah. Use me, and then I'll I'll follow you. All right. Yeah. That that's my. That, I think that's gonna be my assignment for the weekend. I'm nice. gonna. I need to find. Uh, and now I just need to get something to saber with. I don't have a proper sabering tool. You don't have a dull sword. I do not. Yeah, um, me I have a machete, <laughs> and in my mind, the machete just had a flat and edge but it actually yeah. is saw toothed so it oh. it won't work so i need to um need to locate something uh but enough of my weird recent <laughs> obsessions uh let's i know there was definitely one thing that daniel wanted to talk about um so so let's get that out of the way before i start talking about nonsense <laughs> again um oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah let's let's check that one off yeah so um We've enjoyed the brewery for quite some. Actually, I mean, I I think for as long as I've been into craft beer, at least it's been available in this area. Um, and but now you're shipping directly to people. Correct. So a lot of people don't know that we actually have a retail store in Washington DC. So we have a physical presence in DC. I did not and, know that either. Yeah, <laughs> which is actually basically a hub for members. So we have a big we have so one of the unique things about the brewery is obviously our membership program. Um, we're one of the first if not the to really really make push for a big club, basically a bottle club. Um, and we have a big presence on the East Coast uh, with members and in the past, I mean people were so crazy for the beer they would find friends on the West Coast, have them ship their beers over for them, uh, or they'd make one trip a year and you'd see guys loading up U-Hauls filled with beer. Um, so we decided to open up a, an East Coast location to help that out a bit, but now we're, we're actually using it also as sort of this fulfillment hub where we ship to New Hampshire, Vermont, Pennsylvania, uh, Pennsylvania, I think that's it, all of DC um, and Virginia. And so, yeah, basically anything you see on our website or membership, if you want to join a membership, we can now get that beer straight to your door. Um, so it's, it's, I mean, it's been exciting for us just to see in particular, I mean, Pennsylvania and Virginia have just blown up for us for direct to consumer shipping. So it's, it's a, and we're seeing our memberships. So our preservation society membership is our membership open year round. And, and we've been able to see that really start popping off in, in Virginia. Pennsylvania so it's it's fun for us to just see see that people you know because we've always been so localized that we know Orange County in Southern California is there's a, a, there's an appetite for the brewery and for our memberships but it's really fun to see it 
um, on some of our more exciting beers, right? Because you can go to the shop and you can get some of our, our year rounds and we put out some seasonals, but a lot of our, our, our direct to consumer brands are, are too, too hard to make to scale up to that size. It's too expensive um, to get into distribution. And so, so it's fun to see, see these new markets opening up and be really excited for, for these huge stouts or some of these traditional wild ales that we're putting out. How, how long has the, that store in DC been open? This is going on year four, I believe. Okay. Correct me if I'm wrong, Jeremy, but I believe this is going on year four. Um, so it's actually right by, if you're familiar with DC, it's right by the, the Union Market, the big market space. Uh, it's like a mixed-use market space. Um, it's, I don't know, three blocks, four blocks from that. I think I know where that is. For as close as I live to DC, you'd think I would go there more often, but I hardly ever <laughs> make it there. <laughs> no worries, we can ship to you now. <laughs> well, you can't ship to me specifically because I live in the great state of Maryland, uh, yeah. where <laughs> where they do not allow such things because who knows what we would get into if that was permitted. Right. Yeah. <laughs> i've heard about you guys <laughs> um where uh or no i guess has the direct to consumer shipping uh ramped up a lot because of covid um i mean yes however like another thing unique thing about the brewery is we've we've been in the direct to consumer e-commerce game for a long time, right? So when when everything shut down, we were actually in a in a really good position because that's a big part of the brewery's business. Is we've been shipping in California and Nevada for eight years, um, and so what it really did was it, it, it yeah it ramped it up. Not not like you see a lot of breweries say like oh man like shipping just came in and saved the day. And I think I think we 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 did we did fine with it and it grew, but really it grew because it pushed us to to expand, right? Like it pushed yeah. us to open up these new states and make the effort um, to, to, to really start growing that part of the brewery. And, um, yeah, I mean, it's honestly, the direct-to-consumer piece is one of our, if not the biggest business challenge for us. We, we, we have a lot of people who just want to buy a beer straight from us. Um, we even went out and bought three delivery vans in Southern California, so we now, it's actually pretty cool. We run our own local deliveries, so same day, if you live in Orange County or Los Angeles County, we can get you your beer on the same day, um, which is I don't I don't know any other brewer doing that, so I think that's pretty cool. Was that um, was that a new allowance in California due to COVID, or could you always deliver? Could you could always deliver okay. direct? Um, we just you know people couldn't get out of the house, and and we didn't want to uh, you know our tasting rooms got shut down, and we didn't really want to. We didn't really want to have to let a bunch of people go, so we decided to, to build out our own delivery service, and we actually put our tasting room team on the road uh, to, to deliver beer. So it's still oh cool, still beers even without the tasting rooms being open, which they now are fully open. So and we're decided, we decided to keep that that piece of the business too. So it's doing doing pretty well for us. Yeah, here in in Maryland, um, breweries were never allowed to do that. And then that was one of the executive orders that the um, governor made to allow breweries to deliver directly to customers. Still can't. Well, actually, a Maryland brewery can ship beer to 
a resident in Maryland. I don't think they can ship it out of the state and then they can deliver directly to a customer. Um, and I believe those were just enacted into law within the last month. Um, a lot of, Uh, a lot of breweries in Maryland as the, um, tap rooms have opened back up though, have stopped or pulled back on delivery a lot. So I don't, I don't know if that's something that'll stick around super long in Maryland or if most of the local breweries are just going to go back to some, sorry, you got to come to us. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a good way to, to expand your reputation and get fans, get fans beer. So we're going to keep on and we're actually going to open up three or four more States in the next few months. So um, we're, we're pretty excited for it. Well, I know there's a lot of, there's been a lot of people complaining as breweries announce that they're going to cease delivery, like people complaining about it, like, Hey, we've been supporting you all along with these deliveries. And now you won't deliver it to us. And so I think it, like, yeah. it's kind of putting some breweries into a, uh, a little bit of, di- <laughs> yeah. But the th- although, I mean, you guys probably in your area, like the traffic that you have to deal with, with deliveries, has got to be just as bad as this area. It's slowly picking back up. Um, but I mean, with the pandemic traffic kind of disappeared for a while. Okay. Uh, yeah. I mean, Southern California traffic is not, 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 not anything to joke about. It sucks. All right. We're going to take, um, one more quick sponsor break and then I don't know. I'll find us probably some other tangent for us to go down. So we will be right back. (laughs) There are many reasons why I've chosen District East for where I purchase beer. I love the flexibility of being able to make a custom six-pack or take home a crowler from one of the eight beers on tap. Their friendly and knowledgeable staff do an amazing job at keeping a diverse selection on hand. You can even purchase artwork from the monthly featured artist. District East is located on Northeast Street in Frederick in the same shopping center as Family Mill and Rockwell Brewery. You can find today's beer lists on the District East Facebook page or at www.districteast.beer. To all you craft breweries, wineries, and distilleries out there, listen up. Atlantic Custom Solutions is the real deal in providing you branded growlers, ceramics, glassware, and accessories like koozies, coasters, and keychains. Their high-definition digital printing, organic ink, and low-fire process ensures your brand is printed in ultra-high definition, giving you a one-up on the competition. We've used Atlantic Custom Solutions for uncapped branded glassware and couldn't be happier with it. Check them out. Visit www.brandmybeverage.com or give them a call at 434-286-4500 to learn more about how they can help you brand your business. Uncapped is brought to you with support from McClintock Distilling, Maryland's first and only organic certified distillery. They are well known for their award-winning gin and are rapidly growing a name for themselves for their matchstick bourbon and bootjack rye whiskey that have both won double gold at international spirits competitions. You can visit them in historic downtown Frederick along Carroll Creek for tours and tastings. Go to McClintockDistilling.com for more information. All right, Jeremy. You said that um, one of the reasons you'd been brought in was um, for the barrel-aged sour programs and that type of stuff. Is that 
is the knowledge from winemaking directly applicable to that? Is that is there correlations between that? Because at least what I found, I used to always, I used to despise wine, um, and it wasn't until I started to enjoy mixed fermentation and sour beers more that I could find any wines I liked at all. So I, is there some correlations between the two or am I just making a complete no, I mean, false I, equivalency? No, I mean, I think there is, uh, you know, I think that, you know, there, there's a correlation between wine and beer and I think sour beer potentially, you know, is a little bit closer, um, strictly because of some of the things that, that you do in, in sour beer production where you do secondary fermentation with fruit and sometimes tertiary fermentation and bottle conditioning. Um, you know, secondary fermentation is, is, is a winemaking technique. Uh, malolactic fermentation is a winemaking technique. Um, you know, really early on, you know, champagne uh, being carbonated and bottle conditioned is a, is a winemaking technique that, you know, was brought over to beer, um, you know, later on. So there, I think historically winemaking is very akin to beer. Now, that being said, the reason that, you know, I was kind of looked for or selected or, or ended up with the job that I ended up with and coming to the brewery is a, a lot of that skill set that I had of uh, cellar management, barrel management, um, uh, packaging experience, uh, fermentation knowledge, uh, and, and an ability to come up with new and unique products is kind of really what got me in the door here. Um, and I, I wouldn't say that every winemaker can directly translate their palate to, to sour beer. Um, but for myself, it, um, came quite easily. Uh, and I know a handful of other, you know, winemakers turned sour beer producers, a, a good buddy of mine, Kevin, uh, Kevin Martin at Cascade Brewing in, in Portland, Oregon has a similar story. Um, so yeah, I think it, I think it fits, uh, and then I think there's one other thing that winemaking gave me, um, or at least gave me a you know a head start on when it comes to the beer industry is, uh, you know, as a winemaker, you know, it, it's a huge part of your job to promote the product and to talk about the product, do winemaker dinners, speak to consumers, come into the taste room and tell somebody why a bottle is is worth the thirty five dollars you're charging for it. And I think in in brewing, uh, I think a lot of brewers are getting better at that kind of thing, but. You know, back in the day, brewers were kind of like the, you know, gruff bearded guys in the back that, that really didn't want to be bothered, you know. There's still um, a lot so, of those, though. Yeah, <laughs> and there is. But I, but I get it. You know, it's a hot, dirty, sweaty, lonely job. Um, but, you know, the quality of the liquid sells, um, sells it for sure. But a little bit of personality behind it, you know, really, really helps the product a lot. So I think I was kind of fortunate to have a little bit of that under my belt and be a little bit older and not, not afraid to, you know, talk about what we do and why we do it and why we made this beer and make a joke at my own expense and, you know, lighten people up a little bit and hopefully get them to come back. Pretty simple. What made you want to make the switch from winemaking to brewing? Yeah, well, that was a, a pretty easy one. So I, you know, I always wanted to make beer and I always wanted to make wine. Uh, you know, when I was 19, 20, 21, uh, working at Trader Joe's, um, you know, kind of getting 
getting exposed to a lot of different foods and drinks that I didn't have growing up. You know, I was very meat and potatoes sort of family, you know, and, uh, you know, getting a, getting a dolma or something, you know, a grape leaf wrapped rice thing. Like my mind was blown by these things. So I I got inspired and I started drinking different beer and different wine. And I thought, Oh man, I really want to do this, you know? And I was fortunate enough to, to get actually, to actually get into it and do it with wine. So I was actually looking for another wine job and I came across the brewery and Patrick and I started talking and, you know, long story short, I didn't know that I wanted the beer job. Um, but I knew that if I was ever going to have an opportunity to do it, that this is where I'd want to do it. These are the people I'd want to do it with. And then I also thought that I'll never lose the skill set that I have, you know, um, and I could always go back to it if this doesn't work out. So for me, it was just a, uh, an opportunity to scratch another itch and, and, to, and to really challenge myself and test myself to see if I could actually do, you know, what I, what I thought I was fully capable of doing. And then, you know, just sometimes in life, you're looking for something exciting and a challenge, you know, and sometimes just taking another job where you know exactly what to do isn't, isn't, isn't that challenge. So do you enjoy making beer more than making wine now? Uh, no, I don't think I do. I think I enjoy making wine more, but um, I, I, I enjoy the beer business more than the wine business, if that makes any sense. Like, I think that as a maker, it's probably more fun to make wine. But as far as the value I get out of coming to work, uh, I, get, I get more of that in beer. Okay. What, what, so what about winemaking do you like better than making beer? Well, it's romantic. It's just romantic. Uh, okay. You know, it's, it's seasonal. Like you only make it, you know, you're, you're going through harvest, you know, through the fall season and, and you're outdoors and you're working in agriculture and your, your boots are dirty and you sweat. And you sweat an outdoor sweat, not a indoor steamy, <laughs> steamy sweat, you know. So it's, it's just different. It feels different. Like, you know, I drive a truck to work every day when I'm a winemaker and I'm on a dirt road, you know, and I get beer cans that I throw out the window into the back of the truck, you know, <laughs> you know, driving, you know, driving in the concrete jungle of Southern California from my office to my home. I, I'm not drinking a beer. I certainly ain't throwing it out the window and I'm rarely in a truck, you know, I don't know. I think there's just, there's something tactile about winemaking uh, that isn't quite there with beer. Well, but, now, you, now you're driving your Rolls Royce. Yeah, now I'm driving a Rolls Royce, making tons of money and craft beer. <laughs> uh, I'm just kidding, but you know, I'm just saying like it's uh, <laughs> it's just a it's fulfilling. You know, one thing that's fulfilling about beer is just having something to do every day. Like it's just we we make so many different beers. We you know upwards of you know three to four hundred beers a year. 150 of those get packaged. Um, it's, it's just a constant nonstop thing, you know, and, um, I, I, I kind of thrive in that. So it works for me. Do you think that craft beer is a more creative process for making it? Like, it seems like there's more avenues and more ways to differentiate what you're making. Like, no. there, there's less, the wood and it's almost, it's more up to you than, what happened with that harvest of grapes that year? Yeah, well, I think that that's that's true in in the sense of the time it takes to affect change. 
So yeah, it's true that in the moment you can decide to do something, brew the beer, maybe have it finished in three weeks. Um, barrel aged beer is much akin to winemaking in the fact that um, you're you're making a an unaged product and you need to have an expectation of time and how long it's going to take to make that product uh, true to concept and finish. Um, so that's much akin to winemaking, but where winemaking takes it a step further is when the winemaker gets into the vineyard and starts planting the wines in the vineyard. And by that, I mean, say, you know, I'm still making wine and I decide to change out this vineyard of Syrah and plant only Tempranillo here. Well, it's going to take six years before we get one grape off of that thing that I did yeah. and then another couple of years in the cellar. So there, you know, that, that is like a almost, uh, you know, a, a real, the real lifestyle game, you know, of like, yeah, I don't Yeah. I started this project 10 years ago. Here, here's the first sip, you know, that's, that's some heavy stuff. I went to, um, a local vineyard when they were planting it. I think it was two, two years ago now. That was so cool with, yeah. uh, the, the machines that they use for planning the, um, right. Isn't there, is there a special term for it? Or is it just, um, can't remember what they called them. I feel like there was a special name for like the cutting. Was it cuttings? So did Yeah, a uh, clone. Yeah, so they they were doing that on oh, really funny. They um we we had we brought out um this uh VR camera we have that does a 360 view of thing and the farmers kept uh telling us that we were messing with the GPS on the tractor. That, oh, okay. that they kept losing sync and we're like it's impossible there's no yeah. way like it like it one it's like it operates on a different frequency completely like it just cannot possibly be messing with the gps on your tractors and right. they they kept insisting it was and then a couple like a minute later um uh marine one flew over and all the oh, escorting the aircraft so they were they must have yeah. been jamming gps yeah. as they were flying from dc yeah. to camp david dang daniel and then they, so i made them apologize to us yeah <laughs> but that it was a cool process watching a, a vineyard being planted yeah. in the i didn't realize like how high tech um farm equipment was until oh, that yeah. point too where like they knew exactly to the precisely yep. where everything was going to be planted so that yep. every row and everything matched up perfect well, yeah and they're maximizing number of plants and yeah it's it's serious business for sure so what was the thinking um when offshoot beer company was made was it just for when like beer that didn't quite fit into the brewery story that's it would be put under that brand or yeah i mean i'll take a first crack and then maybe jeremy can follow up on it but yeah essentially i mean you know it, it the reason the brewery never made ipas was patrick sort of famously said you know we're never going to make an ipa um and however he's also a, a pretty good businessman and you know, I mean, it's IPA, right? So yeah. everybody, we, you have to have an IPA at some point if you're a craft brewery, especially over the last, what, 
five years when the hazies just started taking over everything. So Offshoot was really our chance to, to start playing in that space um, without breaking, you know, the promise of, of the brewery to never brew an IPA. So, so yeah, I mean, that's really, that's really what it was. It was kind of just like a tongue in cheek kind of, well, the brewery's not doing it, but our offshoot is. Um, so, so that's, that's really what it is. And I mean, I think, I think it's, it's become one of our biggest distributed brands um, right now. So our, our relaxed hazy IPA is all over the place. And it's, I mean, you just, it's an easy beer to drink too, right? Like IPAs are kind of just easier. It's the same reason we started doing lagers, just a little bit more approachable beers um, for people to enjoy. So they're not always having to drink a 19% uh, 750 milliliter bottle of one of our famous stouts. Um, yeah, I have, like, I've had... Um, I've had Relax before, and I didn't realize that it was a product of the brewery. Well, I guess yeah. technically it's not, but it is. <laughs> yeah, it's an offshoot of the brewery. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> and it, it's funny, though. I, um, I recently was having a discussion with a brewery owner that had recently acquired another brand, and he was telling me how, like, he doesn't ex- – like he doesn't understand why more breweries don't do that. And it, it was all based around getting space on shelves that you're getting at, like having the more brands going through distribution that they you're taking up more space on the shelves. And uh, it was getting into a lot of stuff. I don't know too much about, but it seems like yeah. this kind of helped. Not, a, not only does it like fit into the brand story and, um, not making him a liar about his declaration. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I hate to I hate to have to cut out. We do have another commitment right now, so I, and if you have like a like final question or two you want to get out there, um, we it's crazy. Jeremy's famous, man. Now we have another crew coming to film him talk about barrel aging <laughs> beer right now. So I'm basically just his agent. That's my job now. Is Jeremy's agent? Um, but yeah, we, we're gonna have to hop off in a few right here. Oh yeah, no problem. Um, just then, real quick, uh, where should people go to find you? Um, and do you have anything coming up that you want people to know about? Uh, so just go to our website www.thebrewery.com, uh, and yeah, I mean you can you can you can shop directly on our website for our beers, but you can also go to our beer finder. So we do have a beer finder to find find our beer in stores and at bars near you. Uh, I'm really excited for for we have an upcoming project in July called the Donut Box, uh, and it's basically a we we designed a box to look like and I, this is a Southern California thing, so you might not know what I'm talking about, but the plain pink boxes that donuts come in down here, um, it's just a really simple looking box. Uh, but we did four different donut inspired beers with four different partner donut shops. Oh, cool. uh, so we have Trejo's, so Dan Trejo, his donut shop is one of our partners. Um, we have the Donuttery, we have an East Coast brand, uh, District Donuts out of DC, and then we have the Donut Friend out of Highland Park. So it's a pretty pretty fun project. It's been been quite a quite a while in the making, so I'm, I'm excited for that. I'm excited to drink probably our lagers coming out. Keller Pilsner is coming out in the summer and 
that's a ripper. Uh, so I'm excited for that. What are you excited about? Fruit of Jesus, or sorry, the, the sour <laughs> Jesus. Uh, See, there is yeah, there is. Go after him. Go after him, Jeremy. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually excited about uh, some of the double barrel aged products we have coming up this year. Uh, so we've done a, in the last couple of years, we've, um, you know, taken some of our, you know, more famous uh, stouts and, and rebarreled them and, and double treated them and, and have been, you know, building these big, you know, 21 and 22% you know, ABV stouts that are just packed full of bourbon flavor and, and overly adjuncted. And, and it's, it's a really cool, safe place to be in because at that high of ABV, there, there's no potential for re-fermentation or for souring or for any, any weird shit to go yeah. on. So it's pretty, it's pretty, those are pretty cool. So we have a couple of big ones coming up this year that I'm excited about. Thank you so much for your time, um, especially yeah. that you're since you're a celebrity. Um, uh, and <laughs> and uh, thank you for um, helping me fulfill my uh, sabering dreams with your information. Dude, do um, it. Tag me on that post. I want to okay. see it. I, w- I will be doing it. All right. Do it. <laughs> um, and thank you, everyone, for watching yeah, and listening. Fun. Bottle, dude, to say, we'll send you a bottle to savor. We'll All sponsor right. the savoring. I, and I, I will absolutely savor it. As soon as I find something to properly savor with. Right. Um, my brother-in-law has, apparently has a ton of swords. Hopefully he has something that's not sharpened on one side. Or, and yeah. So, right thank you guys so much. Um, and I will uh, look forward to savoring a bottle of the brewery beer. Cheers, man. Cheers. The Uncapped Podcast is produced by Graham Cullen and me, Chris Sands. Be sure to like us on Facebook, and if you've enjoyed these podcasts, please leave us a review on Google Play or the iTunes Store. A special thanks to Double Motorcycle for providing our theme music. Thanks for listening. Oh my god, that's good.